Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. I think that I have a message today that's going to connect something uh, in, in, in such a beautiful way and perhaps give you a perspective on something unlike you've had before. And, and I just want you to allow the Lord to bless you. I pray right now, Lord, in the name of Yeshua, that you will give each person who is here and who is watching online, listening via the podcast, Lord, that you will, you will give them teach, teachable spirits. Give us all teachable spirits, Lord, to receive what you have for us, God. Lord, we want more of you in our lives, God. God, we don't want Yom Teru or Rosh Hashanah to be just simply a perfunctory duty that we check a box to say that we've done. No, Lord, we want this day to be something that is meaningful to our hearts, Lord, something that will change us, something that will uh, endue us with more power, Lord, from upon high. So, Lord, we just ask for your touch, for your anointing, Lord, on these words. Lord, let us really receive what you have for us. We need you. In this day and time, we need you, Lord. Lord, the answers are not in the world. The answers are not on the news. The answers are in your word, and the answers are you. You are the answer, oh God. So we seek more of you. We want more of you in our lives, Lord. Guide us. Show us what to do. The, the cantor sang, Avinu Malkeinu, our father, our king. Be our father even today, Lord God. Teach us, guide us, direct us. Love up on us, Lord, as never before. I thank you so much, God, for what you're doing in our, in our time, Lord, and for this special, this special high holy day season. In Yeshua's name, amen and amen. Woo, boy, I tell you what, I, I know I got a message to give. Mm, boy. The anointing of the Ruach is here if you do not feel it. The, yes, give the Lord praise here today, y'all. That's right. Woo. We are celebrating, the, like, uh, like Rachel sang a little bit easier, Shehekianu, that the Lord has allowed us to reach this season. Has that ever been more true? I mean, I, I, I'm telling you what, when she sang, by the way, I did not know my niece could sing that beautifully. Wow, she is a beautiful singer. I had no idea. I, uh, I, I, she's an incredible artist, but wow, she can sing so pretty as well. But, but the point is, is that when she sang that Shehechianu, you know, it, it seems like this year we needed that more than ever. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to reach this season. As you all know, plenty of people did not reach this season. Thank you, Lord, that you allowed us to reach this season. It's only because of your mercy and your grace. Well, in part, this is because what we're doing right now 
is, is, is intentional, it's, it's, it's conscious. And it relates to what Joshua said to the children of Israel. Joshua was about to die as an old man. He was an old man. I remember old Bethel member Eric used to say, he used to sometimes dress up and say, he was Uncle Old. Uncle Old came by. and <laughs> It's just classic Jewish Uncle Old. Everybody, any Jewish family has the Uncle Old. Okay, Joshua was about to die as an old man, and he challenged the children of Israel. He challenged them, friends. He had lived his whole life. You know, he was the oldest man. He and Caleb, he and Caleb were the oldest two guys in the entire people of Israel. Literally, the two oldest human beings in the nation of Israel were Josh and Caleb. We know that because they were the only two over 20 that had to, uh, to enter into the promised land. Uh, as we know, after coming out of Egypt uh, and such. And so Joshua had seen it all. He saw the exodus out of Egypt. He saw the plagues, like unbelievable. He saw the, the, the Red Sea part. He saw what, what God did on Mount Sinai. He saw how the children of Israel were sustained in the desert for 40 years. He saw how the children of Israel conquered the promised land, Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. He saw all these things, and my goodness, is, is there almost anybody in the Bible who saw as many amazing things as Yehoshua, as Joshua? Probably not. Well, you know, the, either he or, or the Talmudim, the disciples of Yeshua, this all of his miracles. But in terms of a grand scale, I mean, the big plagues and stuff that, I mean, Joshua saw a lot in his day. And so he was about to, to go on to be with the Lord. He was about to die, and he challenged the children of Israel. I want you to hear this today as if Joshua is talking to you and talking to you if you're watching online anywhere. Joshua 24, 15 he says this, if it seems bad to you to worship Adonai, then choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods that your fathers worshiped that were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will worship Adonai. Woo, boy, that's very powerful. Man, he was, he was challenging them, y'all. He was telling them. It's very powerful. In fact, Rabbi E, who's in the back, that's one of the things that he used to say and to preach as much as anything is that, Havarim, worshiping God is a choice. You all have a choice. You didn't have to be here today. You didn't have to be watching this stream whenever you're watching it. You have a choice, and we all have a choice as to whether or not we choose to serve God or not. And what Joshua said is, listen, if you don't want to serve God, hey, listen, that's your business. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah, my friends, I remember I could hear Rabbi E saying that in my head. He used to say that uh, all the time. And that is so true. And that has to be how you feel about things. You have to make that choice as well, just like I do. Each one of us has that choice. Are we going to choose to serve God or are we not going to choose to serve God? Most commonly in America, it's not that we're choosing to serve some kind of a statuette, some kind of an idol that we worship instead of the one true God, you know, some kind of like a uh, although some people do, 
Okay, but, but most people don't, right? Most people in America, though, honestly, their God is themselves. That's the most common God that people worship, particularly in America, more than any other God. Oftentimes, worship ourselves, pleasure, money, whatever it is, popularity. It can be anything that, that feeds self, our flesh. No, as for me and my house, we will choose to serve the Lord. Mm, very powerful. I want you to keep that in mind about this choice that you have. And then I want to look at a couple of other things. Evan knows this. Evan knows his word of God, and he knows the fact that there's a lot of misperceptions of things about the Bible. People have a misperception about things that they think are in the Bible, but it's not exactly the way that people perceive it. What am I talking about? Well, when people think of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, they often think about, of course, the apple. The apple, everybody thinks of Adam and Eve and the apple. We all know it's very uh, cliche. Yet the scriptures do not tell us what kind of fruit it was on the tree that they were forbidden to eat from. I've often said this, the apple gets a bad rap. It's not the apple's fault. It probably wasn't even an apple, tapuach in Hebrew. It, it, it probably wasn't an apple. It might have been a mango. It wasn't a pear. Pear is my favorite fruit, and I just love pears. <laughs> I just believe that it wasn't a pear. But, but the point is, we don't know what kind of fruit it was. It could have been any kind of fruit. Small little misperception there, right? It's said, of course, that there were three wise men that visited Yeshua. But scriptures actually don't tell us how many there were. We, I don't know how many kings of Orient are. We, just, we don't know how many there were. <laughs> it's traditional that it's three. We don't know. We know that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. No, scriptures don't specifically say that. That says it was a big fish. We don't know what kind of a big fish. And you might say, well, Rabbi, it had to be a whale because only that was the, the size. Listen, any kind of story like this would have been supernatural anyway. God could have done anything he wanted. He could have made a special fish. He could have made a, a goldfish that was, that was as the size of this building. Gold. Jonah might have said, oh, man, that's bigger than what I got in my tank at home. <laughs> Listen, I don't know. There's no way to know. It just says big fish. We don't know. These small things, you know. But these are nuances. It's important to understand what the Scriptures say. It's actually important to read the Scriptures in context and understand what they say, what they mean. It's easy to misperceive things in Scripture. And in doing so, oftentimes, we can lose important nuances. And such is the case, I think, oftentimes in this story. The story of the Akita. We talk about this. Genesis chapter 22, please. It's traditional always on Rosh Hashanah to have a message that relates in some way shape or form oftentimes to the Akita. One of the interesting things, Daniel, I'll tell you, here's the truth, is that as a rabbi, you know, I, I do a message every Rosh Hashanah, and one of the two messages, tomorrow's has nothing to do with the, uh, the Akita, but one of the messages always has to do with the Akita, and because and, that's, that's very traditional going back for, for many, many years amongst rabbis, and I, oftentimes I thought to myself, man, when am I going to run out of new things to say about, about that story? It's once you, 
I, it hadn't happened yet. It had, the Lord continues to just kind of teach me things every year and new things. And, and even that, you know, is a testimony uh, of the fact that the, the God will, will te- continue to teach us things from words, even things that we've heard our whole lives. God will continue to teach us. Someone say amen. Verse one, now it was after these things that God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Hineni, he said, here am I. Abraham said, okay, the Akita, you know this story. If you've been to Rosh Hashanah before, you know this story for sure. Pretty much the most of the chapter of 22 there. The binding of Isaac, a very famous story, my friends. God tested Abraham said, hey, listen, will you sacrifice your son, your, your only son? Interesting, he called him his only son, considering we know he already had Ishmael at the time too. But this was the son of promise that God had given to Abraham. And, and he said, will you sacrifice your son to me? And Abraham immediately did so. Abraham passed the test, showing that he would obey God and he was willing to offer even his son that which he loved most in the world. That's a powerful story, friend. That which he loved most in the world, he offered up to God when God asked for it. Boom. Man, that's that's quite a testimony. There's a reason that Avraham Avinu is is so uh, important in our faith. Abraham, our father. Woo! That that dude was a heavyweight man. A friend of God. Much is rightly said about Avraham, Abraham, and his faith. The book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham knew of God's promise to make a great nation out of Isaac and reasoned that if Isaac was slain, that God would raise him from the dead. (laughs) Unbelievable faith, man. That is some serious faith, Cindy. You know what I'm saying? To to have that kind of confidence in God is, is just off the chart amazing. Amazing amount of trust in God that Abraham, Abraham, our father, had. No question. But today I want to focus on a different part of the story. And I have not ever taught on this angle before, really. I want to focus on the boy Isaac. I want to focus on the boy Isaac today. Because if you look at most historical portrayals of the binding of Isaac like an art or something like this, you see a consistent theme. If you look at most historical portrayals of the binding of the Akita, the binding of Isaac, Isaac there on the altar ready to be sacrificed with Abraham with, with the, the knife up in the air, about ready to sacrifice his son, and then that usually there's a cherub or something, an angel up in the sky saying wait, or sometimes he's got his arm like this. If, if you look at all the masters of old, how they painted the binding of Isaac, because it's such a popular thing to, to, to paint in terms of artistically. Historically, it's, it's, it's of, of great significance, of course, and it's got such drama in the moment that all the, the, the artists painted it. You see a consistent theme. Rembrandt, many consider him the greatest uh, artist of all time. Rembrandt paints the sacrifice of Isaac. Michelangelo does the same, the sacrifice of Isaac. Look at these. Look at those paintings. Look at any of the number of paintings of the binding of Isaac, and you're going to see a glaring historical 
inaccuracy. Because these portrayals of Isaac systemically show Isaac as a little boy. And this is a very, very important nuance that I want you to weigh into because there's a lot of depth to this. Get ready. Now, a few things to, uh, to understand. Scriptures don't tell us how old Isaac was specifically. It doesn't say Isaac was this many years old. And there are various opinions. We don't know exactly how old he was. There are various opinions as to how old Isaac was. But the Hebrew word here used to describe him, the R, has been suboptimally translated by many in this particular passage as boy. If you have a translation of Scripture in Genesis chapter 22, oftentimes you will see the English translation is simply the boy, the boy, the boy Isaac, the boy. That is not the best translation of the word in this context. Now, why? while boy can be an acceptable translation for this word, no question, it can be. Now, uh, more accurately connotes youth or generally someone younger than others referenced. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. It's really important that you see this nuance, very important, because, because it sheds light to the story that I think is going to help and bless you. So just as an example, the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 22 to describe Isaac during the binding of Isaac, the same Hebrew word, in Exodus chapter 2, the same word is used to describe a baby boy. A little baby is used with that Hebrew word. In 2 Samuel 18, the same word is used to describe the young man Absalom. 1 Kings chapter 20 uses the word to describe junior military officers. And, and even in the story of the Akita itself in Genesis chapter 22, the same Hebrew word is used to describe the two servants of Abraham that Abraham brought with he and Isaac on this journey. It's the same Hebrew word. All this to say that we know that Isaac is younger, but this does not indicate that he is a boy. But we have one key piece of evidence as to his age. Now, yes, we know from the end of Genesis chapter 21 that Abraham and Isaac lived in the land of Philistines for a long time before the binding, after Isaac was born and before the binding. It, it tells us that a long time had passed. But there's also a key verse that we read in the story itself of the binding that will reveal to us something very interesting. Let's go back. Genesis chapter 22, verse 6. Let's take a close look at this because you're going to see something here that, that's going to make the story pop a little bit more. Genesis chapter 22, verse 6 says, Then Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and put it on Isaac his son, in his, hand, he took the, in his hand, he took the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Okay, I want to break this down a little bit because it's important to understand the wood for the offering, for the sacrifice, the wood that's put underneath the sacrifice, right? The wood had been previously carried by the donkeys. 
okay? And, and it said that when Abraham saw Mount Moriah, which by the way is the Temple Mount today, as a <laughs> revelation, okay? When he saw Mount Moriah from a distance, so it wasn't like right next door, it was at that point that Abraham told the servants to stay with the donkey. So the servants didn't come, the donkey didn't come. From when he saw Moriah, good ways off, it was only he and Isaac that went. That was it. And he said to put the wood for the sacrifice on Isaac. Now, I talked many years ago about the fact that, wow, how interesting that Isaac carried the wood upon which he would be potentially sacrificed and the symbolism in that. But that was a few messages ago. Now, listen, it's universally agreed to by scholars that the amount of wood necessary for a sacrifice like this was substantial. It was a lot of wood. These were not twigs. How do I know these weren't twigs or just kind of kindling? Well, because it says specifically in verse 3, it says that Abraham split the wood. These were logs. These were many logs of wood that Abraham had to split to take, and the donkeys carried these things, this pretty vast amount of wood that would, that would go under potentially a human uh, on an altar. That's a lot of wood. That's a lot of logs. There is absolutely no way that Isaac was a boy. There is just no way. At the least, at the least, Isaac was an older teenager and more likely a fully grown man. And just to give you some perspective on this, I know, well, what, what do scholars say? I mean, scholars agree with this point. Josephus said that Isaac was 25 years old. Delich said he was a young man. According to Jewish tradition and Chazal, Isaac was 37 years old at the time of his binding. If you, if you talk to most Orthodox rabbis, they will tell you he was 37 at the time of the binding. However you want to calculate it, Isaac was no little kid. Now, this is of, of great importance. Why? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Let's think about this for a second. Because as we continue the story, we know it was just the two of them that were walking together to Mount Moriah. Then verse 9, it says this, Then they came to the place about which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there, laid out the wood, bound up Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Wow. I mean, certainly that was a dramatic moment. Now, we know historically, again, this is, this is all about perspective, which totally shapes the story differently than you may have seen it before. Right, Bill? We know historically that Abraham was about how old when Isaac was born? He was about 100. He would have been late 99s or 100. Okay, so let's say he was 100 when Isaac was born. 100 years old, a hundo. Wow, that is serious, by the way. Man, boy, when he said... They didn't have the internet when I was growing up. 
Okay, so Abraham was basically 100 when Isaac was born. And so if Isaac was in his 20s or his 30s, then Abraham was in his 120s or 130s. We know from the, the account that it was just the two of them, Zach. It was just the two of them. Beloved, if Isaac had not been willing, this story would have never happened. We know that Isaac was strong. We know he was strong. How do we know he was strong? He brought all the wood. Exactly. He brought all the wood. He, that, that dude carried all the wood that could have gone under a fully grown man. Split logs that his dad had split. He was strong. He could have easily. Isaac could have easily, easily, easily just said, no. Sorry, dad. I don't like the way this is shaping up. We know that Isaac got what was going on because at one point on the way over there, he said, hey, Dad, listen, here's the wood and the, and the fire and all. Where's the lamb? Where's the ram for the burnt offering? God himself will provide an offering. Okay, Abraham. You know, Isaac probably went, oh, boy, okay. <laughs> he, it's, not, it's not like he was unable to understand. This was a full-grown man. He could have easily said no. Isaac was an adult who understood exactly what was going on. He could have just taken, he could have taken Abraham's hand. It says that, it says that Abraham bound Isaac and put him on the altar. Come on, y'all. Think about it for a second. See, this, this changes totally how you look at the story. Isaac had to have done this. And Isaac could have easily overpowered his 125-year-old, 130-year-old father. Easily. It was just the two of them. He could have easily overpowered him. Mishpacha, Isaac chose to be willing because he trusted his father completely. Isaac went willingly. Isaac went willingly. Matthew chapter 26. You know the story of Yeshua. Wow. I'm looking forward to getting back to Israel. Our, our, our tour, which was supposed to go to Israel in about two, two, three weeks now, is delayed till April. Sad, tear. But at the same time, for some of you, that's going to be great because I know that some of you will want to add to that trip, which we can do. Okay, one of the places we visit is the Garden of Gethsemane. Here was Yeshua at the Garden of Gethsemane. He was about to go and be crucified. Why? For the sins of the world. He was about to be sacrificed himself. Listen, no one would want to do that. Who, who would want to do that? It's, it's, it, would be, it would be 
disturbing if somebody just like, hey, had a desire to, to, to be executed in that way, except for the fact that that was his mission. That was what he was called to do. But how did Yeshua pray? It's so interesting because we can see here how Yeshua is all God and all man. Chapter 26 of Matthew verse 39 says this, so Yeshua is praying and says, going a little farther, he fell face down and he prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Skipping down to verse 42, it says, again, for a second time, he being Yeshua went away and prayed, saying, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, meaning his sacrifice, let your will be done. My friends, Yeshua went willingly. He went willingly. It is so instructive to see the willingness of Yeshua to go to the tree of sacrifice for us. He was willing. He went willingly. He didn't have to do this. But he trusted his father. See, Isaac was a clear shadow of the Messiah. My Jewish brother or sister, if you're here or if you're watching online, man, if you have your Hebrew Bible out and you want to read a lot of the story of Yeshua, read the Akita. It's, it's, it's taught every Rosh Hashanah. In Genesis chapter 22, we have a clear shadow of the story of Messiah. And why did Yeshua willingly offer up his life? Mm, John chapter 10. John chapter 10, you see Yeshua went through with it. Why? Why would he do this? Isaac had been willing, you see. But it was just a test. It was a test for Abraham. But Isaac, but Yeshua went through with it. Why? For the sheep, for us, for you, for you. Hear Yeshua's words, John chapter 10, starting verse 11. It says, Yeshua says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Skipping to verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Mm. Deep connects so much to the Akita. Yeshua, as the good shepherd, chose to lay down his life for us. 
Notice here as a side note, a direct refutation of that old anti-Semitic diatribe that the Jewish people took his life. Baloney. Yeshua himself directly refutes this unambiguously by saying that no one takes away his life. He says, he tells us that the whole point that he came to earth was to lay down his life for the sheep. That's the whole purpose he came, was to lay down his life for the sheep. That was his willing choice. Beloved, this is a pattern. This is all very interesting. And some of you are are intellectually stimulated right now and say, wow, that's so cool. The connection, I hadn't quite seen all that. And understanding Isaac and his adult now and, and seeing his own willingness, not just Abraham's willingness, but Isaac's. Wow, and I can see that parallel with Yeshua. And that's absolutely amazing. And, and that's all great. That's wonderful. I'm totally with you on that. that I'm, I'm, I'm into that. But, but beloved, this is a pattern that we must emulate in our own lives as well. You see, it's not just theoretical. It's got to be practical in application to ourselves. Achim v'achayot, brothers and sisters, we must choose to offer up our own lives willingly to God. God does not force us. God will not force you. He wants to offer for, he wants for us to offer up ourselves as a sacrifice. In what way? Romans chapter 12, if you have a scripture. Romans chapter 12. See, if you understand all that, it makes this scripture that you've probably heard a million times, it makes it make even so much more sense. When you understand the history, when you understand Isaac, when you understand Yeshua and what he did and the model that he was for us. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says this, I urge you therefore, achim v'achayot, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Beloved, we are called upon to offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice. That's what we're called to do too. We we, we saw it shadowed and modeled in Isaac. We saw what Yeshua did out of love for all of us. But my friends, the key is you have to do it willingly. You have to do it willingly. Isaac, despite the ability to reject the will of his father, submitted to him, which facilitated God's plan. Likewise, Yeshua submitted to the will of the father, which facilitated God's plan, and we should too. We also should submit willingly to the will of our Father, submit ourselves as that living sacrifice. My friends, it's Rosh Hashanah, it's Yom Teruah, it's the new year. It's been two years since we had an in-person Rosh Hashanah service. Now more than ever, my, in this crazy world that we all live in, we need to willingly seek to do the will of our Heavenly Father. 
but I'll tell you what's necessary to do the will of our Heavenly Father. You have to trust in Him. You see, you're never gonna offer up yourselves as a living sacrifice unless you trust Him. Doesn't that make sense? Isaac clearly trusted his father. Yeshua clearly trusted the father. We must also trust our heavenly father. Because if you fully trust him, then, you're, then you will lose objection to make yourself a living sacrifice for him. Does that make some sense? It's remarkable how much Isaac trusted Abraham and Yeshua trusted in his heavenly father. The reason is that both of these put, willingly put their lives on the altar was out of this trust. John chapter six, as we get ready to close. John chapter six. And I say close. Oh, we still got the shofar blast to come. Get ready. John chapter six. What does Yeshua say? He says this. He says this, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and trusts in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Woo, friends, you see? He, Yeshua is telling, is telling us that's the will of the Father, that if we trust in Yeshua, if we trust in Yeshua, we will have eternal life. If you trust in Yeshua, you'll be more willing to offer yourself up as a living sacrifice. You see, and this also is one of the key lessons from the Akita. Some of you have been holding back your trust in God. You've not been as willing as you should have been to trust in Him. Shema, listen, hear me. God is trustworthy. Open your heart and be willing to do whatever it is that he asks of you. Because at the end of the day, if you do, you will be blessed. You will benefit. You will see God working in your life more and more. but he will not force you. It's your choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. The title of my message is Willingly. Let's bow our heads. I want to ask if there's anybody in this Beautiful congregation that has never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart. If you're here and you've never given your life to God, how about today? Maybe you're watching online, listening to the podcast. And if you've never said a prayer to receive Yeshua into your heart, but you'd like to, wherever you are, if you're here, just raise your hand. We'll have a simple prayer. If you'd like to commit your life to God, accept Yeshua as your Messiah, and you've not done so before, wave your hand at me and we'll have a simple prayer, if that's you. 
And if so, God will touch you. We'll have a simple prayer. God will change your life. Is there anybody who's not done so before but wants to just wave your hand at me? Be honest. What about all these people? There are hundreds of people in here. doesn't matter. God is looking just at you. He cares about your heart. He cares about you. Perhaps you're watching online. If that's you, just repeat this simple prayer after me if you've not done so before. Say, Dear God, I accept Yeshua into my heart. I believe he's risen again, sitting at your right hand. Thank you, Lord, that he went willingly for me to that tree of sacrifice. Please forgive me of my sins, O oh God. I'll live for you the rest of my days. Thank you, God, in Yeshua's name. If you said that prayer for the first time, please send us an email and, and let us know so that we can celebrate with you. If you're here, see me after the service so we can celebrate with you. Lord, I thank you, God, for everybody who's, who's here and everybody watching. God, I pray that in our lives, Lord, that we have a more willing spirit, a more willing spirit, God. And that's, that involves a choice. That involves a choice. Lord, let us choose wisely. Let us choose to willingly offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice for whatever service or purpose you have for us. Thank you, God, for this. We love you with all of our hearts and bless you. Oh, for this special Yom Teruah, this Rosh Hashanah. We ask these things, B'Shem Yeshua, in the name of our Messiah, Yeshua, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah, or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethlehem.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L.org. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and Shalom. Light, light, light.